two complementary passages that I think lend some background to this. We need to read. Look at Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, how Christ overcomes earth's opposition to him and what the Father does. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. This is going to be at the second coming. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's quoted in Revelation 19. Notice another passage, New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, showing what the people of God will be doing on this day. Watch 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I hope you got a set of notes that may help you as we do this study today. We see a description here in Revelation 19 of the second coming of Christ to the earth. I am appalled at it in this extent. Where is the uh, ticket parade down Broadway when the king comes home? Where is earth's welcome when Christ comes back to the earth? Uh, how about a parade like after World War II? How about uh, cheering? Flag waving. Where is the welcome? Messiah comes to the earth twice. Bethlehem and only a few ragged poor shepherds even show up 
The Magi don't show up for two years because they meet him when he's living in a house. They don't even show up at Bethlehem. And so the king kills all the children two years and younger because he knows somewhere in there Messiah has made a visit. Is there any welcome party? No, bloodshed, wailing. Rachel wailing for her children. Then he comes back a second time to the earth. And what does he meet but an armed earth ready? How dare you think you can come back? We will run the earth. You won't. Either coming, he was never expected and he was never welcomed. Just a few. Just a few. So let me, by way of review, uh, I'm a person that understands Revelation Scripture to teach that God's going to get the church out of here before the tribulation. Some think we're going through, and if you're going through, God bless you. I would, if I've got to go through, I've got to go through. But I understand the bride has been promised immunity from the wrath of God. I understand the tribulation to be the poured out wrath of God. We've not been appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Revelation 3.10, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord was to deal with the nations in Israel. The church didn't even exist in the Old Testament. It didn't exist in Matthew 24. What Matthew describes is the end of the age coming up to this event, the day of the Lord when Christ comes. So I give a contrast that we are about that opinion. We believe Christ will come for the church any moment and will be caught away to the air. The raptures, we understand it, or the catching away, the harpazo, the snatching, whatever word you want to call it. Rapture came from the Vulgate. We don't need I just need the Greek word, the harpazo. I'm going to be caught out of here. But when he comes back to the earth in his second coming, he's not coming to catch away the bride. He's coming to deal with his enemies. Big contrast. We, he meets the church in the air in the rapture, we understand, any moment. But he meets the enemies on the earth, and the church comes back with him. Earth does not see it when he comes in the rapture, and that's why some call it, Oh, you guys got a secret rapture. Well, call it whatever you want. We got a catching away where he said at his second coming, Revelation 1-7, other verses, every eye will see him. And how you describe that, if they're all going to be on, everybody's going to be texting when he comes, how that's covered everywhere, I don't know. But it's going to be a visible, comprehensible event. Nothing secret. The rapture was a mystery truth. The big mystery truth in rapture teaching is a living generation of saints are going to be caught up to heaven without ever dying. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it's a mystery. Never been revealed. The Old Testament never dealt with it. The Old Testament dealt with his first coming to Bethlehem, his second coming to the Mount of Olives, and to rout 
his enemies. Uh, we believe that once before the tribulation, this Revelation 19, he's coming to end this seven-year period and to initiate his thousand-year reign. So let's look at this Christ as he comes back in this scene. Does he come back bleeding? Does he come back showing his wounds? Does he come back on a, the back of a donkey? No, no. He comes riding out on a white horse. Now, if God's keeping any white horses in heaven for him to ride back on, I don't know, but that's the vision is he's coming back on this white horse, which was the horse of triumphal entry for a Roman victor, a Roman general. If he had won his battles afar, when he came back to Rome, they always had a white stallion for him to ride down the Appian Way. He comes riding in as a victor, as a mighty conqueror. He doesn't come in as the meek and lowly Jesus. He comes in as the mighty sovereign God that he is. So he comes into town, uh, and he's, when they, John sees him, he said, this is the one you can call faithful and true. Faithful has the idea of being reliable and true. I am the way, the truth, the life. And so here he comes, and I see this one riding in. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He, he said this several times in Revelation. He is a righteous judge. He's not a crooked judge. You know, if I've heard one verse quoted a lot by the unsaved, see if you've ever heard this. Judge not, that you be not judged. Anybody ever hear that? Well, the judge is riding into town. The judge is showing up. And nobody's going to be quoting Matthew 7, 1. Don't be judging. No, I am the judge. And when I judge, I will judge in righteousness, I'm not a crooked judge. I have the right to judge. I will come in judgment. We don't deal with that. It doesn't make you a nice, seeker-friendly, warm, fuzzy church. So what? Maybe you could be a church Jesus is the head of. He is going to righteously judge the earth. His eyes are like a flame of fire. The idea here is penetration. We know that his word penetrates, and it goes to the, it's a critic of the internal makeup of a human being. It knows the mind. It knows the heart. It knows the lust. It knows the motives. It knows everything. It's a penetrating eye of omniscience, but it's like fire penetrating. He comes back, that his head has many diadems. Now, isn't one diadem enough? Well, you're not getting any, so sure, it's okay. <laughs> we don't get diadems. We get a different crown. We get a Stephanos crown. This is reserved for Christ the King, but there's a plurality of them, and some scholars say they think they're the crowns he's collected from the kings of the earth. Because David, when he had a victory, Joab brought him the crown of the king he had just defeated. And it was common in the Orient to collect the crowns of the defeated kingdoms. 
Who knows? The plurality of it, maybe he's doing that. Maybe it's the superlative of his greatness. Every crown of greatness you could ever have, he's going to be wearing it. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. You remember Philippians 2, God gave him the name that's above every name. We're not sure what that name is there. But here he comes back with another. There's going to be things you're going to learn in heaven you'll never learn on earth. You're going to be amazed how wrong you've been and maybe how right you've been. It's going to be exciting. You'll finally get it straight when you're in his presence. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And this blood here is not the blood of his cross. This is the blood of his enemies. You remember when Isaiah described him in 63, coming from Bozrah? He sees him coming along as one who's tread the winepress of God. And the picture is of a man stomping grapes, stomping grapes. So the chapter 14 says, blood in the day of Armageddon will splash up to a horse's bridle as he stomps, stomps to death the nations. Now here, he's coming seen victorious in battle and bloodied from battle. He will have the marks of the blood on his garment. I have been dealing with my enemies in my coming back because the earth is armed against me, hostile against me. They don't want me. And so I have seized power, and I'm bloody from it, not the cross. This is not the blood of the Lamb that saves. This is the blood of the enemies. He's called the Word of God. I love this. And the armies of, a, of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. Now, he had said back in the earlier part of the chapter that the bride of the lamb would be riding back in verse 7. There's a marriage supper for the bride, and she was clothed in fine linen, white and pure. And so who makes up this army that comes back with Christ? Who's going to be riding back? See, I believe in the rapture. He's coming for the church. We're going to get out of here. But here, he's coming back, and he's bringing his entourage, and I believe it's his redeemed all the way back to Genesis, all the way. He's going to bring every Old Testament saint with him. I think he's going to resurrect all the tribulation saints that have been martyred. He's going to bring back every martyred saint in the church age. From the day of Pentecost on, they were killed for the witness of Christ, for their testimony. Think of the millions and millions of people who will follow their king as he's riding back. And then you've got verses like uh, 2 Thessalonians, Matthew 25, that says, this is incomprehensible, that the armies of heaven will include angels. Now, get this. I want you to get this in your head. Are you a Christian? You don't need to say anything. Have you been an Old Testament saint from Abraham right up to the cross? Were you a saint that died for your testimony in the tribulation because you wouldn't take the mark of the beast? 
or that you were slaughtered from one thing after another. And all of a sudden, Christ resurrects Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah, all the Old Testament saints. He resurrects these tribulation saints. He's caught the church up already. And then he whistles to all angelic beings. When Satan fell, he only took one-third of the angels. How many angels are there? Probably more than the stars. How many stars are there? Oh, maybe a million. You're not red, are you? A million. That's a, we don't, they're into the billions. We can't even, we can't keep up with how many uh, galaxies we keep finding. The more power we have to scan the heavens, it just goes on and on and on. And just think of one good angel for every star that's out there. And so here comes the king. And maybe if he does it in order, Old Testament saints, you've been prophesying that come, get behind me. Tribulation saints, get over here. Church saints for 2,000 years, follow me. Every spirit being, we're going back. We're taking the earth. I think you'll have plenty of manpower, spirit power, church power. I'm going to be in the army when he comes back. I'm, I'm, I'm in this army, friend. I'm in it. If you're not, you're going to be dealt with by this army. There's only two armies in, when the second coming, the armies of the Antichrist and the armies of the Christ. You're in one or the other. Which, which army do you happen to be in? I wish I was preaching to a shouting church. They would get happy about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I didn't grow up with a frozen crowd. This stuff makes you want to, you think we're losing? ISIS, show up. Show up, communists. Show up. Am I vindictive? No, I'm just saying all enemies, show up, and you will. Because spirit beings are going to draw the nations right to this place, and they're going to have a rendezvous with the king of kings. And a pathetic Jesus is not riding into town, but a powerful, mighty, potentate Christ. This is my Savior. This is my King. You're not on the losing side. I mean, you know, I think of Matt and Dave Nicosia. They, they poured their heart into the Pittsburgh Steelers, but, you know, uh, this is going to be a winning team. Go on. I just felt that, David, seeing you out there. Um, had to get in a few hits there. Well, what's his determination when he comes back? What does he plan to do? Well, he is going to exert his power and deal with these armies that will have gathered. So you're going to deal with an army down in Jordan, Isaiah 63, Basra, that's Jordan. He's got to go to Jerusalem, first of all, Zechariah says. This is Armageddon. I'm just repeating. They go to the city of Jerusalem. The city splits. The remnant flee. Uh, Christ comes to fight that battle, and that's where he increases the heat so much that the eye sockets consume while they're in battle. Zechariah 14. Then you go up to the valley of Megiddo, 
which they figure runs about 200 miles. And according to Revelation 14 and 16, three evil spirits will be drawing the nations of the earth to these locations, and they will battle. So you'll be down here in Jordan. You'll be fighting. You'll be fighting the Antichrist. It comes into the place. He will have already destroyed Russia three years earlier when they invade Israel in a time of peace. There's going to be battles all over Palestine. The Antichrist will be located in that area, and we're going to seize the earth. Antichrist has declared himself to be God, and we have gathered to fight the nations of the earth. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, one rides out of the heavens that they weren't counting on. And when he comes riding, they all turn from each other, and they turn to fight him. Now listen to what he's going to do. He's going to unleash his power, and he's going to rout the enemies of the Antichrist, or of Antichrist and his armies. Watch what he says. He said, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Psalm 2, messianic promise. He will tread the winepress wine press of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I love this context. Listen, you don't have to be king. It's not hard being a king if there's no other kings around. But there's such a rivalry for power during these last days. What this really means is, I'm the king and all rivals have been eliminated. I'm the king of all kings who are now dead. I'm the Lord and there's no rivals. All the other lords are dead. I'm the baddest on the block because all the, all the opposition has been eliminated. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God. He just described the marriage supper of the bride, which is going to be glorious. Now he's going to another supper. Two armies, the armies of Christ, the armies of the Antichrist. Here's the supper that God has prepared for the Antichrist. Tell the birds to fly over. I've got a meal for them. They're going to eat the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, horses, their riders, all men, free, slave, both small and great. I was just reading a commentary. They say something that's interesting is that European birds that migrate south to Africa fly right over Israel. It's a rock. Now, it's kind of interesting that he calls all carnivorous birds to this feast. Now, just like the plagues in Egypt, God can create another batch of birds if he needs to. But it'd be kind of interesting that if in this normal migration, God just says, we got a feast for you. Vultures, all meat-eating birds, Come down here. You know when he destroys Russia, it takes seven months to bury them. 
When it comes to this, it's going to be a, a quick mop-up as the birds of the heavens by the millions have a feast at this supper of God. And they're going to come there and feed on all these armies that have come to make war. And then he said, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered together to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. They're going to fight against Christ and all those coming with him. By the way, we, when we come back, we don't come back armed. We don't have any weapons. How, how can Christ succeed? Be dead. The sword of his mouth, a word. Be dead. Be dead. By the way, I have billions of angels back here. I think often of the story of Sennacherib with Hezekiah. And Isaiah comes to him with the Assyrian power. Assyria was a mean, mean country. They were known for stacking the skulls of the citizens they killed at the gate of the city they conquered to send a message to everybody else. And so will your skull be if you mess with us. Assyria was no one to mess with. And they invade Israel. And they're cocky. Sennacherib said, uh, when Hezekiah sent word, said, well, we're trusting in Yahweh. Sennacherib dictates a letter, said, you tell him. This is what all the other kingdoms that we have killed said. They were trusting their God before we decapitated them. And don't be quoting to any of us this God talk, this Yahweh talk, that you're some special people. We're going to feed you to the birds. That night, one angel showed up and killed 185,000 men that night. Now multiply 185,000 by a billion. Do you think there's enough angel power to wipe out the earth? And then, you've got to follow the story. Sennacherib goes back because he's got to get out of town. You know, that's a terrible route. And he decides to go worship God, his God. Well, that's a good place. At that time, his sons rise up and kill him in the house of Dagon. You don't make fun of the living God. He's going to have the final word. He can have one angel Wipe out San Francisco. No big deal. One angel could wipe us out. Who, who do we think we are? And here he is. He's saying, uh, they've gathered to make war. And then he says, I'm going to take the beast, who is the Antichrist, back in Revelation 13, and the false prophet, who did all these miraculous signs that deceived the world, Second Thessalonians Two says that. I'm going to take them, and they deceive the earth, and the false prophets said, you've got to worship this Antichrist. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And you want to know how long they, they withstand this? In chapter 20, uh, it says in verse 10, 
the devil is thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented night and day forever. 1,000 years after being thrown in, they're still alive. And God said, you've just got forever yet to come. I've had you locked up for 1,000 years, but you're going to have forever to pay for your rebellion. There's no annihilation. Hell is eternal. Some say, why an eternal sin, an eternal penalty for a temporal sin? It's because of who you do the sin against. When you sin against an infinite being, he can give you an infinite penalty. Some teach annihilation will just evaporate. No, we won't. The same word for eternal life is used of eternal death. No annihilation. They eat. Where will Christ come when he comes again? He'll come back to the Mount of Olives like he told the disciples in Acts 1. As you see the Son of God leave visibly, physically, you can see it. As you see this happen, so shall my second coming be I'll come back to the Mount of Olives. I'll touch terra firma first in Jerusalem. I'm coming back. Now, when am I coming? I, I would like to predict this and sell you a book on it. I can go to the bank if I can just give a date. I would love that. He's coming next week. Let me tell you, if I told you he's coming next week, would it make any difference to any of you? It wouldn't to most of the world. They would just say I'm wacko anyway. And I would be. But this is what's amazing. Nobody will be ready for him to come anyway. Listen to this. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Matthew 24. Now, let me ask you something. What do you mean you didn't know the flood's coming? Your neighbor's been working on this for 120 years and telling you rain is coming for 120 years. You talk about a poor evangelist. You haven't had got one convert, just your wife and kids, eight souls in all. But we didn't know it. Why didn't you tell us? And then by the time a drop of rain falls, the door is being risen on the ark, and God seals it so they can't get in. I don't know if you've ever thought what it would be like to be in the antediluvian flood and be looking out the window and watching all your neighbors trying to get on board. Too late. Too late. And Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, keep watch. 
because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. We don't know. That's both rapture and second coming. And second coming has all these events. The man of sin, the abomination of desolation. You've got a bunch of signs that have to, they still are caught unaware. The earth will, the coming of Christ will be like a thief in the night. They will not be ready nor prepared. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you longing for him to come? Let me just give you the six things that he tells the church to do in light of his coming. Be steadfast. Be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is another thousand years. Are you looking at your notes? You're supposed to yell. No! His coming is at hand. There's nothing to prevent it. Nothing. No signs. No signs. For second coming to the earth, there's signs, but none for right now. Two, be kind. Stop grumbling against one another. The judge is standing at the door. Don't, walk, don't let your dad walk in the room while you're hitting your sister. And that's what he's saying. Stop grumbling among yourself. Don't you know the Lord is about to step through the door? I was thankful my dad did step through because I had a room with David. Pray. The end of all things is at hand. Notice that. The end of all things is another 100 years. So, well, you've been saying this for 2,000 years. Yeah. And the mockers in the last day will say, ah, it's a bunk. They've been saying he's going to come for years. He had not made it yet. And they said, for they do not comprehend that in the long suffering of God, he has delayed the coming of his son because he's long suffering, not willing that any should perish. His motive is to say, and then he says, Peter says this, but don't get mixed up. Don't get mixed up. He's got a different Rolex. His says, his says, one day is a thousand years. To God, it's only been two days. We talk about 2,000 years. God said, it's like two days to me. Just think the Exodus was 1445 B.C., so 1,400 years till Christ came. Now we've had 2,000 years after. It's about time he shows up. I think he's going to break through. What I'm afraid of, I'm going to die before he comes. But I still just get to go to heaven. That ain't too bad. And he'll still resurrect me. I ain't going to miss out. Be faithful in meeting with God's people. Don't forsake the meeting together and exhorting one another as you see the day approaching. How many of you grew up going to church all the time? And they say now in America that if you attend twice a month, you're considered a regular. If you attend twice a month. And if you give once a year at tax time, you're a giver. 
I grew up, you go to church. And you know what? I grew up, think of this. He says, when you meet, you don't meet to hear a man preach. You meet to stimulate one another to love and good works. Now, you got to ask yourself in this meeting today, before you go, will anybody be stimulated to love and good works, or will they be discouraged that they talk to you? Let me tell you about the corns I got. Let me tell you about the new medication. Let me, let me tell you about my poodle just bit the dust. Let's, wait, wait. This isn't the place to share poodle stories. It's the wrong place. Uh, yeah, my dad, uh, well, I grew up in small Pentecostal churches. Uh, there were family churches, 50, 70. We have testimony service. Anybody ever been testimony services? Okay. Well, they got a little, got to wear you out because you'd hear the same thing everywhere. I love Jesus. Pray for me. I'll go all the way. All right. We've been doing that for 10 years. Hus, can't you come up with something fresh? <laughs> and then my dad would say this to us, us kids. He'd tell me, never go to church without a verse to share. Because you might, testimony time might, and you could at least get up and quote a verse. I mean, Jesus wept, got old, but you know, you can, you can get something a little bit more than that. And so just think, if every one of you today prayed about it last night or this morning, said, I'm not going to leave that building today until I see some brother or sister in Christ, shake hands and say, keep meeting together as the manner of some has happened to be quit meeting, but I want to stimulate you. By the way, you've been teaching my boy in the third grade class. Thank you for teaching. Thank you, Ernie, for being such a great usher and caring. Uh, thank you, worship ministry, for all the work you do. Uh, thank you for the, uh, I want to encourage you to keep, 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 keep it on. And, you, and, and people are going to walk out and say, I can't believe it. I feel encouraged, and I've just been to church. I don't even feel discouraged. That's what you do in church, not hope I go a short sermon. None of you can't prepare, but I better be. Man, he, didn't pre he wasn't prepared today. Were you? I said, were you? Will anybody get encouraged if they talk to you today? Man, I didn't mean it to be such a convicting point. Uh, live holy. Since these things are about to burn up, Peter is saying, you ought to be holy. When are you going to start living for God? When are you going to quit dabbling? When are you going to decide? I have thought it over about following Jesus. No, the song says, I've decided. Have you decided? Are you dabbling? It takes a made-up mind to live for God. Some are waiting whether today or tomorrow would be the best day to backslide. Go ahead and do it, honey. Go ahead. If he doesn't have your mind and your heart, you're probably not saved because he makes you want to go all the way, not half the way. Then he says, live in purity. He who has this hope, 
purifies his heart. And when you think he's coming any moment, uh, it has a way of keeping you on your toes. I've told through the years, it was dreaded when my mother would say, my mom is coming up. We've got to keep the house neat every day. I thought, man, I hated it. Just tell us what day you're coming, Grandma. <laughs> if you'll tell us, we've got 24 hours to get in shape. But I'm just coming in August. Forget it. We've got to make up the bed every day. The house has got to be clean every day. Just tell me the day. Give me 24 hours to look good. And Jesus has said, I'm coming again. I'm not telling you when. Any moment. Any moment. And you know, there's a famous story. If you've been in church for a while, I thought as his brothers were praying today, you think about us living with so many so-called defeats, so many people not being saved. We're seeing it all over the country. Congregations becoming older, fewer converts, bigger bands, but not many converts. Where are born-again people? And sometimes you say, it's not worth it. We're fighting on the losing side. Famous, famous story has been told a thousand times. It's told of the missionary returning, I believe it was Africa. He buried his wife there, buried a child, and came back after years of missionary service. And when he came into the Brooklyn Harbor, the horns were going off. The harbor was decorated. Everything was just overwhelming festivities. And the missionary said, wow, what a welcome home. What a welcome home. When he got into the harbor and was disembarking, he realized only then that Teddy Roosevelt was on that ship and the president was coming back from a safari hunt in Africa. All the fanfare was over the president. No one was there to greet the missionary. No one. So he got a room at the local YMCA, went there discouraged. Not any of the church had sent him. Many who had sent him had died, barely knew him. He came back a, uh, a wifeless man a widower, children buried. And as he knelt to pray at this why, he said to the Lord, why such a turnout for a mere president and I've given my life to serve you? I've buried my wife in your service. Is there no welcoming? And he said, the Lord spoke to his heart. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Yeah. And uh, I want to say to you, child of God, you can't wait till we get home. The marriage supper of the Lamb, I think, lasts a thousand years. I think the millennium is we're going to be enjoying becoming the wife of the bridegroom, Christ, and celebrating forever. But the enemy will meet his Waterloo at Armageddon. And our captain, our king, our crucified Messiah, he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. I want to ask you a question. 
Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Will his coming be a thief or will it be a wedding day? I'm looking for him to come. Are you ready? Have you ever, you see another famous missionary line, many people were telling about the second coming have never heard of his first coming. Anybody around where you live ever hear of his first coming? Do you know why he came? He came to say, if you'll accept the terms of peace, I'll never pour wrath on you. My terms are, I'll meet you at the foot of the cross. Will you receive me? If you'll receive me, I'll guarantee you protection for the rest of eternity. If you'll receive me. To reject me is to risk yourself for time and eternity. Have you received it? Have you received it? Let me pray for you. Bow your head and I'll pray. Father, we have no idea of those that may not know you yet that might be here today. There's so many of us I know that know you. We're longing for the day Jesus comes. We're longing for your coming. The Spirit and the bride are saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. We can't wait to see Christ face to face and end all the struggles of a sinful race. No more temptation. No more killing. No more drugs. No more broken homes. No more weeping children. No more insane asylums. No more cancer wards. No more funerals. No more tears. Oh, what a day, what a day is in the future for your people. But those who don't know Christ, the weeping has only begun. I ask, Father, would your gracious spirit open the eyes of someone that may be here without Christ, enable them, open their eyes, and let them make profession of the faith that they say, I've received him. I've not rejected him. I take Christ to be my Savior. Are you here, anyone? Because we'll take time with you after this service. If there's anything we could do to help you in this decision, we want to help you. We don't want you to perish. Is there anyone here? They just say, pray for me. I'm here. I don't know Christ, but I want him. Yes, yes. Are there others? Are there others? If you're here and you're in need, there'll be some of us brothers in the front. We'll give you priority. You come. You come. And we'll take the time to be sure you put faith in Christ. Father, take us with your blessing. Bring us back as... I think next Sunday, 9-11, all that day, that will go down forever in the mind of America of two planes crashing into the Twin Towers in Manhattan. Look how vulnerable we were. 
Who would have ever dreamed that went to work that morning that I'll never come back? Let us not gamble with our lives and put off this decision to make Christ our Lord and Savior. Save is my prayer. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.